is to page 543. Page 543 of the Church Bible, Psalm 19. Uh, we sang part of that psalm uh, earlier on, uh, but we're going to be looking at that whole psalm together. Page 543 of the Church Bible, uh, Psalm 19. And uh, when you've got that, then can I also ask you, if you don't mind, to take out your bulletin and you find the center page in the bulletin. You'll see two sermon outlines there. You want the sermon outline on your left, page 6. Right. So you can have Psalm 19. You've got the outline on page 6. and also got some cross-references there. It'll make it easy for us rather than having to flip around uh, the Bible. We can uh, use the cross-references that are printed there. So if you've got Psalm 19 on page 543, and you've got the outline on page 6, uh, then we're ready to go. Uh, and let me lead us in prayer. Father, we thank you that you speak to us by your Spirit through your Word, and we ask that you be doing that tonight, even as we consider uh, this, uh, this beautiful psalm. Uh, and we ask, Lord, that uh, your Spirit would open our hearts and minds uh, that we might appreciate what you're saying to us here, that we might see Jesus and love him and obey him. Uh, and we pray uh, that you help me to preach your word rightly uh, in your spirit's power. Uh, and we pray that all this would happen for your glory. We ask these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. You head out into the night and you look up. And what you see, because you're not in KL, is a huge expanse of sky. And there are so many stars in the sky, too many to count. And you know that they are millions and millions of kilometers away. Uh, we often think of light as traveling instantaneously, but so vast is the universe and so far away are these stars that you know that it takes more than four years for light to reach us from the nearest one. And then you also remember that the time taken for light from the further star we've seen to reach us is nine billion years. And that star is only halfway across our universe. In ancient times, people didn't have all these facts and figures, but like us, they could, they could look in creation and they could get a sense of its vastness and they could get a sense of its beauty. David who wrote this psalm, speaks to us of how the creation points to the Creator. And then he goes on to say that this Creator has revealed Himself specifically to His people through His Word, His commandments, His covenant. And then he speaks of His personal response to this Word, His conviction. David is a man like us, and so there'll be many ways in which we can echo this psalm. But David also points forward to Christ. And so as we look at it, we must also see how Christ echoes and fulfills it. Looking at the psalm itself, we see that David starts the psalm by speaking of creation in uh, verses 1 to 4. He says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor a whose voice is not heard. 
Their voice goes out through all. Creation is constantly saying, God is great. God is glorious. God deserves to be worshipped. If you look at creation, even if you look at the sky, and it should drive you to your knees in worship. And there in the heavens, David poetically says, God has put the sun. It's like an energetic bridegroom who comes out of his tent on his wedding day and he rushes with joy across the heavens to get his bride. From the end of verse 4. In them he has set a tent for the sun which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The sun's heat goes out over the whole world as does creation's voice. You can't escape it. Creation speaks of the creator in a universal kind of way. Looking at our handouts, in the first box we see in the handouts from Romans 1, verse 20 of Romans 1, about halfway through that box, uh, tells us a similar thing. It says that God's invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. Creation speaks of him. But then you might ask, well, why then doesn't everyone believe in God? How is it that people can look at creation but not recognize the creator? Well, the problem is, uh, Paul goes on in verse 21. He says, humankind knew God, but they didn't honor him as God or give thanks to him. And so they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. In other words, our thinking has been affected by sin. And we no longer really understand what creation is saying. Creation speaks, but people are often deaf to it because of sin. Creation speaks, but, but people ignore what it says. Back in verse 18 of Romans 1, it says that people, by their unrighteousness, suppress the truth. Some of us suppress it so well that we can look at nature and still be genuine atheists. But creation still speaks to us of the glory of God. It's our fault, La, if we're not listening. Well, the God who speaks to us in the greatness of creation hasn't just left it there. He's not just spoken generally in creation, he has given his word to us. And so, in the next section, David speaks about that. And the term he uses for God in the next section, uh, the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, uh, you see it there in verse 7, and again in verse 8, uh, twice in verse 9, etc. That is Yahweh, God's, God's personal name. The name he revealed to Moses when he came to save Israel from slavery in Egypt. In the previous section, it was just a general word for God, El, because it was about his general revelation as creator. But now he shows that this God who is the creator is also God who is the savior. 
the God of creation is the God of salvation. And he speaks not just a general word in creation, but a personal word to his people. And look at the many different terms he uses to describe God's word in verses 7 to 11. He calls it the law of the Lord, the testimony of the Lord in verse 7. In verse 8, the precepts of the Lord, the commandment of the Lord. Verse 9, the fear of the Lord and the rules of the Lord. Uh, the, the, the word that, God, that David is referring to here, the word of God, is, is the, he's referring to the covenant that God made with Moses. Talking about the first five books of the Bible. You could say the same thing about the rest of the Bible as well. Now that's been revealed, but up to this point in history, the word he's talking about is his Torah. First five books of the Old Testament. And what does David say about it? He says in verse 7, it is perfect. It is sure. In verse 8, it is right. It is pure. In verse 9, it is clean. It is true. The word of God is good. Sometimes we doubt the goodness of God's word. There are times when the Bible tells us things that we would rather not hear. There are times when it clashes with our presupposition, when it clashes with our culture, when it clashes with our sinful desires. And we want to say, actually, I beg to differ. I think I know better. But if what the Bible says is different from what I think, then, then guess who's wrong? Guess who needs to change the way we think? It's me, isn't it? It was the serpent when he was tempting the woman in the garden who threw doubt on the goodness of God's word. She fell for it. Friends, don't fall for it again. God's word is good. For God is good. You can trust God's word. For you can trust God. You can believe God's word. For you can believe God. The word of the Lord is perfect, sure, right, pure, clean, and true. The word of God is good. The Holy Spirit, through David, also tells us what the word does. It, in verse 7, revives the soul, gives life, because through it we know God. It makes the simple wise, because it is God's wisdom. In verse 8, it brings joy into the heart, the delight of, of knowing God and obeying his word. In verse 8 as well, it enlightens the eye so we can see what God is doing. We know his plans and purposes. In verse 9, it endures forever so we can be sure that God will keep the promises he makes. It is righteous altogether in verse 9. And so we can have confidence because we know that God himself stands behind it. The word of God is good. And the word of God is precious. And so David speaks of the profound value of God's commandments in verse 10. He says, More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, and the drippings of the honeycomb. God's word is good. God's word is precious. But God's word is not just good for his people generally. David says it is good for him, personally. And so he applies it to himself in verse 11. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. 
God's word is good. It is good for him. And it's good for us. But even though God's word is good and is good for David, there's, there's still a bit of a problem, isn't there? Without the next point, conviction. Because David knows that he doesn't keep the law properly. In fact, he asks in verse 12, who can discern his errors? Who can? He knows that his sinful heart will, will still break the law in places that even he doesn't realize. And so he cries, declare me innocent from hidden faults. But if David is a sinner, how can God declare him innocent? Well, he's not just worried about the hidden faults. Not that just the sins he commits in ignorance, that's a problem. He prays in verse 13, keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins, deliberate, active acts of sin. And he says, let them not have dominion over me. Let them not have power in my life. And only if God does that, only if God keeps him, he will be the second half of verse 13, blameless and innocent of great transgression. And yet even then, it's not just about these big outward sins that he's worried about. He also knows there is danger from his sinful heart. And so he prays that God will enable him to speak and to think in a way that pleases him. And he prays in verse 14, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. That's his prayer, that he would be right by God's word. Friends, the law is good, but in and of itself, it can't save us, can it? Because our sinful hearts by themselves, well, we know our sinful hearts by themselves can't respond properly to the God of creation and our sinful hearts by themselves can't obey God properly in his law. We need God's help. We need God's help so we can be forgiven for breaking his commandments and we need his grace to enable us to live lives that please him in accordance with his word. And so David's prayer is our prayer as well. Please declare me innocent and please keep me back from sinning. Please enable me to please you from the heart. For you are my redeemer. You are the one who rescues me. You are my rock. You are the one who keeps me safe. And friends, that prayer is answered in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one who can truly pray this psalm with no problem. When Jesus says, declare me innocent, it's because he really is innocent. He is truly without transgression. Every word from his mouth, every meditation of his heart is acceptable to the Father. He really is the sinless Son of God. And because of that, he is the one through whom people like David and like you and me can be declared innocent as well. He's the one who died on the cross to pay the penalty of our sins so that God can forgive us without saying that the sins that we committed don't matter. He is the one who rose from the dead and poured out his spirit on his people to change us from the inside so that we really do want to obey. 
But then what about the law? Is it really as good as the psalmist says? Because remember, it can't actually save us. And in fact, it actually condemns us because we fail to keep it. Why? Why is the word of God so good then? Well, the word of God is good. The law, the precepts, the testimonies, all good. And let me tell you the best thing about it. The best thing about the word of God is that it points us to Christ. That's why it gives us life. That's how it makes us wise. That's how it brings joy and enlightens our eyes. That's why it endures forever and is righteous altogether. Now, not everyone sees it that way. If you read the Old Testament law as just law, it leads to condemnation for not keeping it. But if you read the Old Testament law and see that it points to Christ and it brings you to Him and He gives you new life, then the law is life. Jesus said to the Jews in John 5, it's in the second box on your outline, verse 39, he says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. You see, the law of Moses pointed to Christ. Jesus said a few verses later in verse 46, if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. And it's not just the law that points to Christ. Every part of the scriptures point to him. The word of God, the Bible, shows us the ultimate word, Jesus. And that is the whole point of it. Friends, whenever we study the Bible, we do not study the Bible for its own sake. We don't just do Bible study to find out more information about the Bible. The Bible points us to Christ. The whole point of studying the Bible is to come to Him. Jesus is the ultimate and perfect revelation of God. And when you know Jesus, well, when you know Jesus, you're no longer deaf to what creation's saying. You, you see the point of creation. He's the one for whom and through whom the whole creation exists. You can really glorify God properly for creation. And when you know Jesus, you really can praise God for his word. Because far from condemning you, the word of God shows you the Savior who loves you and died for you. And this Savior gives you the Spirit so that you can obey him from the heart. And you can pray with David that God will enable you to, to, to be kept from the deliberate, presumptuous sins that show everyone you're not really following God's way. And you can also genuinely pray that God would guide you and change you in the deeper and subtler ways. That the words of your mouth, the meditations of your heart, would also be acceptable to Him. So if you are a believer here tonight, then because you belong to Jesus, let the skies and the scriptures speak to you. See the skies, glorify the Creator. Read the scriptures. Look for Jesus. And if you trust in Jesus and the Spirit is working in your hearts, then with the psalmist, you pray every day that God would keep you from sin because that is what you really want. Pray every day that He will enable you to keep His good word. And so to speak and to think in a way that glorifies Him, your Creator and your Savior. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, that you speak to us in creation and it declares your glory. Thank you that you speak to us in your word and that your word points us to Christ, shows us our wonderful Savior, the ultimate revelation of yourself. And thank you that through that word, you show us how to live to glorify him. And so we pray that you help us to trust the Savior and obey his word. And may the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts always be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer.